Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Des. And I'm Marco. And we're back! Yeah, sort of. I mean, we still need to edit this and publish this and all the other things, but <laughs> yes, we are back. Oh my god, what have you been up to these last six months? Like, I think it was six months. I cannot even remember. No, wait, wait, wait. First, beer. Okay, I've done no research on my beer for the simple reason that this can is impossible to read. As you may have guessed, it's called Blurry Vision. It's a hazy IPA. It's from a German brewery based in Berlin, which I think is called Burlo. B-R-L-O. This is all I can get from the can because it's psychedelic, loads of black and white lines. It gives you a headache to look at the can. It gives you a headache probably when you drink it as well. But anyway, how about you? What are you drinking? So I picked a beer called El Dorado. From the Brauerei Thai here in the Netherlands, if you remember, Des, it's like the big windmill brewery. Ah, oh yes, yes, I do remember. Yeah, which is pretty much down the street from where I live. And it's a hoppy lager. So, curious to see what that tastes like. Cheers. Cheers. And it's called El Dorado, which is a really cool name. Anyway, Des, oh my god. What have you been up to these months? <laughs> so, you were saying, has it been six months? No, it has not. Our last episode was in December. It was just before Christmas, and we had planned a mini break, but it turned out to be a bigger break. Yeah, so we need to apologize to our many, 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 many listeners and fans and, you know, groupies that we have. But yeah, life kind of got in the way. So yeah. we've had a little bit of everything in the last couple of months. Some good, some bad, some really bad and some really good. I think we both needed we both needed a break and we didn't plan to have that break that soon or we at least should plan to have like a season finale kind of episode. One thing led to another. It was the Christmas break, it was some holidays, some other stuff. Fun fact, I got married in the in the meantime. So, yeah, a bunch of things happened. And that's the good. And I'm going to overlook the bad because we don't want to speak about that on air. Exactly. But Des, super happy to be talking to you again. I mean, for our listeners, we have spoken in the in the last few months, but not that much. And so, like, in terms of news, I don't really have any. Oh, no. Did you see that? So in terms of like space news, SpaceX launched their what's it called? The big rocket. I'm surprised it's not called the big rocket, knowing Elon. The big rocket, right? Because that's kind of like their naming convention. Starship. But anyway, the Starship, and it exploded or it tore itself apart. But it was a success because the goal was to just clear the tower, and that's what it did. So they'll try again in a couple of months. Did you watch like the footage of the whole takeoff? I mean, I only watched the highlights. But one thing which really... I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I've kind of read, not conspiracy theories, but loads of theories on Reddit, so you know they're reliable. They built a launch pad in Texas for the uh, launch of the Starship. Yeah, Star City or Star something. Star yeah. Base. People are saying that the takeoff was a fluke. The reason why they say that is because the launch pad, which is made out of concrete and reinforced whatever, it completely disintegrated. And if you watch the footage, you see bits of concrete just flying all over the place. But obviously, okay. the, the rocket is sort of blowing down on these uh, 
concrete pads and that was completely destroyed and bits of concrete flew all over the place it would have taken just one piece of concrete to hit puncture the the rocket and it would have exploded there so people are saying it was incredibly lucky like this is not something you can repeat over and over and over again safely no because they need to basically rebuild the whole concrete structure i think the reason behind it and again like zero research zero background check or anything i think the reason why they didn't Uh, Because like NASA uses water to kind of for to control like the flames and the noise and whatever and to like so that the impact isn't as big on the structure. They don't because their reasoning is the starship is going to have to take off from Mars, allegedly. And so like there's no launch pads on Mars or that's what I was reading. But anyway, yeah. It was a successful failure in a way, as in, like, I think the goal wasn't to get it in orbit or anything, just to clear the tower. It did that. So they they were pretty happy that they get to collect a ton of data and move on. Still in space, the Japanese space agency was supposed to land a little rover on the moon. And we still we don't know what happened. Like it was meant to land and then they lost signal. And so they don't know what happened. I've actually heard nothing about this. So well done, Japan. You've kept it quiet. <laughs> yeah, it was like an hour ago. Oh, okay. Which by the time this episode comes out is like maybe six months ago. Yeah, it was like six months and an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then there's, I want to have a little conversation or a little d- debate or I need some advice. So I've got an Apple Watch which I kind of like, which like it, I'm basically just using as an activity tracker because I no longer have an iPhone. So a lot of the functionality is not really useful to me. And so I, I'm, I don't really want to get like a Samsung watch or like all the Android Wear watches are pretty terrible these days, uh, except for the Samsung ones, which I'm not necessarily too keen on because I've started wearing like regular watches and I don't want to stop. Like it's quite i quite enjoy that and so like what would you advise in terms of like activity trackers or in terms of okay so this i think is a very personal question and it comes down to i think what you prioritize now as a daily driver if you're going to wear it most days and you want it okay so i think i think the apple watch is probably one of the best standards in the sense that it's a pretty good all-rounder on most things I think the one thing that it could really improve on is battery life. Yeah. So me personally, I like hybrid watches. So I've got like a a Withings Steel HR. It's a great activity tracker. It does the basics. It's probably not the most accurate. They do have models which measure measure like ECGs and stuff like that. But the battery life, I swear to God, it lasts like 28 days, if not more. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. So that's something I value. Yeah. But see, my issue with that is that I would have to wear that or the nice watch. Like, and, and I'm not going to wear the watch and the Apple watch at the same time. So like right now, what I do is basically I need to plan what I'm going to do. Like, for example, if I'm cycling to work, I want to track that and I wear the Apple watch. If I don't, I'll take the, the regular okay. watch. Like, so this leads me to uh, maybe you don't need a, a watch, but you need an activity tracker. Yes then it it depends on what shape you want this to take. On the one hand, you have devices like the Ura Ring, which I know my brother has, and he initially raved about it, and then he hasn't really mentioned it since. So, um, uh, you know, if it works and nothing new to say, then good. The other thing which 
recently came out, and this is super, super inexpensive. You know the Xiaomi bands? Yeah. So they're super popular, like probably because they're cheap and cheerful, and it's a pretty decent all-rounder for never more than 50 bucks. I think the average price is maybe like 30 euros, like super cheap. And I know recently they came out with the Band 8. Again, the nomenclature is very Chinese, but they have designed it so you can wear it on your feet, around your ankle. Okay. Like, you know, those things like uh, when you're on house arrests that you get the, the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Marco. You're experienced, I see. It's like, yeah, I just got one off. That's why we don't record in all this time. But anyway, which would be the opposite because then I'd be home all the time. But never mind. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it some thought and I'll let you know because I was also looking at, I did look at the Aura ring or whatever it's called. It looks cool. It's a bit expensive, but... One thing I, I, I'm not particularly happy with, and it's the same case with um, like the Fitbits, is that there's a monthly fee. Yeah, but no, that's a, that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah, I don't want to have to pay to track my nothingness, <laughs> to track the nothing that I do all day. I think it gets even worse. I personally think it's a bit of a bait and switch tactic, typical of Google, but over the span of several months. For example, remember Google Photos? It used to be unlimited photo yeah. storage. And then they quietly said, no, no, 15 gig. By which point everybody had 15 gig of photos. And like now yeah. you have to pay for storage. Annoying. And they've done the same with the Fitbit acquisition. A lot of features like tracking your data over the last couple of months or whatever, they actually put behind a paywall now. So they've taken yeah. features away and put them behind a paywall. I don't like paying twice. Either subsidize the cost of the device. They're not cheap Fitbits. I mean, they're cheaper than an Apple no. Watch, but they're not cheap. Yeah, yeah exactly. But Apple gives you all that stuff for free, like exactly. all the tracking, all the sleep tracking. The now the Apple Watch Eight uh, tracks your cycle if you menstruate and things like that. But it's yeah, it's quite it's quite annoying that you buy a hardware and then you have to pay to run it essentially, like for all the features. There was actually like a few months ago. I don't know if you remember, or maybe we even talked about it. Was BMW went was on the news for giving you basically all of the hardware but they would charge you like 20 bucks a month for the heated seats. The hardware for them was there, but you couldn't use it unless you paid for it, which is insane. Again, it's coming to this revenue model where everyone is going down the subscription route and it's annoying. Yeah, exactly. Like even things that shouldn't be subscriptions like heated seats. But anyway, that's not what we wanted to talk about today. Today, we we, we wanted to talk about some recent games that came out, video games that came out, that have been either remastered or reissued or remade. That seems to be the case with a lot of games these days. Like there seems to be a a remaster for everything. But we are particularly happy to talk about the Metroid Prime remaster that came out recently on the Switch. And on a more romantic note, we started season two with an episode on Metroid where... I incorrectly pronounced Metroid Metroid for the whole episode. So I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly this time. So back to Metroid. And back to Metroid Prime. A couple of months ago, in a Nintendo Direct, seemingly out of the blue, Nintendo announced that Metroid Prime, the famous, I think, 2002. Wow, that long ago. GameCube game. Yeah, yeah, it was really old. It was like 21 years old that the game was remastered and that it was coming out, I think, on the same day even as the Nintendo or like a few a few days later. And then like 
another few weeks after it came out on a like physical copy and everybody was kind of shocked because metroid is a bit of a sleeping uh, franchise for nintendo there is allegedly a metroid prime 4 coming out at some point but we haven't heard anything in literally years and uh i think you bought it as well on day one i did buy it on day one for a few reasons first and foremost the reviews were available almost immediately so nintendo's embargo was lifted straight after the nintendo direct the game was available the day as soon as nintendo direct finished it it was available everywhere to download not to buy uh, sorry not the physical copy you could buy it digitally immediately so the reviews were out and it wasn't just a cheap rehash with maybe upgraded visuals the visuals were upgraded but it was actually rebuilt entirely using a new engine oh was it yeah and i think it tells because it's buttery smooth on the switch yeah i think yeah they targeted uh like a very high frame rate but other than that it looks incredible like it's incredible yeah. how you know now talking about it the game is 21 years old it's been obviously refreshed and remastered and everything but it looks incredible like i would say i mean out of the ones i've played at least it is the best looking switch game they're in the praise because you know how when you play a lot of old games they don't look like you remember them because technology evolves and our mind is wowed the first time it sees something and then when it becomes old you're like wow that looks old yeah. whereas this remember like it looks like i remembered it and it looked amazing so whatever yeah. they've done, they've completely brought that experience, that 3D environment to modern standards and made it seamless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on top of that, on top of new, pretty amazing graphics, the biggest update was in the controllers. So I don't know if everybody remembers or if anyone remembers, but originally on the GameCube, it had a very clunky control scheme, which worked for that but it was before first person shooters became popular and popularized the you know using the two sticks for movement like one for moving and one for aiming essentially but now it uses this like the regular first person shooter control scheme and i know you have some criticism for it but i think it really works my criticism isn't directed at nintendo's decision i agree that Nowadays, the two thumbstick controller where, you know, usually by default, the left thumbstick moves and the right thumbstick does the panning and scrolling around the screen. Yeah. That's pretty much standard. So I agree that the old GameCube controls were so clunky. You didn't really aim. You had to rely on the lock button to kind of do anything. And so movement was one endeavor and combat was another endeavor. Yeah, you could either move or aim. You couldn't do both at the same time. Exactly. So the really cool thing about this remake, it wasn't, it's not that they've just given you one control system. They even let you experience it with the original control system. And they go one step further because my introduction to this trilogy and Metroid Prime is the first of the trilogy is the Nintendo Wii. Um, I don't even think it was a remaster. I think it was just ported to the Wii as a collection of all three games. Yeah, I think it was just the only graphical changes they made was it was in widescreen and it was like 480p, but the game was the same. The Wii has a famous Wii mode controller where you pointed at the screen and you interacted that way. Okay, it's not a mouse, but the interactivity of pointing and clicking, I thought was the best control system. You can still do that today with the Joy-Cons, even though they're not quite as pointy as the Wii mode, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they're not as precise. Yeah, you can experience the same control mechanism. 
So it's kudos to Nintendo for putting all three of them. What they've gone with, I think, is the right decision because that's the standard that most people will be familiar with. So completely upgraded, no different to any other game. But I still think first-person shooters are better with a point-and-clicky device. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Like, recently we started playing, or recently we played, like, the Wolfenstein games, and it's just so much better to play a first-person shooter with a mouse. But having said that, have I ever mentioned to you how much I hate the Joy-Cons? No, never. This is news to me. It is news because I hate them so much and because like I was really just getting frustrated about how much I hated playing a really good game with very bad controls. I ended up buying the pro controller because it was like on sale or whatever. And oh, my God, it's really good. (laughs) It's not the pro for nothing. No, but it's like better than I mean, I, I haven't tried or I've tried, but very briefly the PS5 one, which is which is meant to be amazing. You know, I'm used to the PS4, to the DualShock. The Pro Controller is just so much better. It's like really nice feel, like all the buttons, they feel good. Really? Like, I Yeah, I really recommend it if you, especially because now, like next month or this month, by the time we release this, um, the new Zelda game is going, coming out. And I'm really looking forward to buying that one and playing it with the Pro Controller. Apart from that, controls work well. The game itself is just exactly how I remember, but better as in the atmosphere that it creates. Like that was one of the high points back in the day. It's like super atmospheric. You really feel like you're alone in this planet and you have to explore and you have to discover it a little bit at a time. And there is a sense of momentum that, you know, like you find a new gadget that allows you to visit the new location and then you visit that and then it leads you to the next one. And I like admittedly, the first time I played it back in the GameCube days, I didn't have maybe the best experience because I was like, it's too complicated. There's way too much stuff or there's way too much exploring to do. So I just basically picked the guide and followed it, which is not the best way. And this time I actually tried to pace myself and enjoy the exploration and it's just really great then you kind of memorize the map and you you decide or you see you there's a specific door that needs to be opened with a specific beam and once you get that beam you sort of remember oh right i need to go back there i didn't feel as lost as the first time i played it so i always kind of knew where i could go and what i could do i agree with all your points i think It's incredible that this game is, as you said, 20 years old, and yet it feels so modern. So my conclusion is that this game was ahead of its time, and it sold well back then. And I don't know, the fact that it's come back and has received such a positive reception, don't get me wrong, there are some mechanics which are a little bit dated maybe, but overall, the way you interact with the map and the environment and the way the, the map is laid out and the game mechanics are still, maybe even for today, incredibly modern. It doesn't feel old. It doesn't feel like you're playing a classic which maybe, you know, broke new ground. It feels like a fully modern game. I think that's down to the fact that they have nailed a timeless experience. Yeah, fully agree. Like you said, it was ahead of its time back in the day. And right now it still feels modern. All they had to do was basically just update maybe the controls, update the graphics, and it looks like a game. Like if that was released today, people wouldn't notice that it's old. There are a couple of things that I think maybe like show the game's age a little bit, especially around like the autosave. There is none. You have to go to a save room every time. And so, for example, like if you die in a boss battle, 
you kind of have to start from the last time you saved, which is something they fixed when they got to Metroid Prime 3, but they didn't use yeah. this occasion to, to add that. Especially like towards the end, you need to collect a bunch of keys. That's a little bit annoying because you have to kind of backtrack through a lot of locations that you've already been to. In a way, it's pretty good because then you get to kind of find new items and more energy tanks and missile uh, upgrades and things like that. Um, but it's the, the annoying thing there is that every time you enter a new room, enemies respawn. So every time you need to like restart the like fights and everything, yeah. which gets, I think it gets a little bit older. My pet hate was, you know, you reach a save point and you know it's in an area where you've got a big boss battle. And you kill all the enemies, you go save, you come out and the enemies will be dead. But if you quit the game and then you start again from that save point, you've literally just killed a room full of bad guys, you would come out and they would all be there again. And it drove me yeah. nuts. Yeah, and there's some rooms that you can't get out of unless you've killed all the enemies, which are yeah. usually it's like the, the Chozo ghosts, which are super annoying because they fly around and they disappear and you have to use a different visor, but whatever. But you know what? Overall amazing game like it, it's a true metroid game very immersive atmosphere exploration is the key mechanic of it the feeling of just being alone in this alien planet and discovering stuff and moving forward i really hope they do the same treatment to metroid prime 2 which is maybe even better and 3 i don't know why nintendo decided to do this i am super grateful that they have done it but as you said, it was a surprise announcement. Obviously, yeah. the decision must have been made a while ago because this does not seem like a rush job. This was done with care and respect. Yeah. The other thing which really encouraged me to buy it, apart from the really good reviews, was the fact that they priced it really well. Now, most new games will, especially Nintendo games, will retail for around you know 60 euros, pounds, dollars, or whatever. This was yeah. barely, barely 30. I think it's usually between 25 and 30, depending on your local currency. Which, for a brand new Nintendo game, is ridiculously good value for money. You could argue that it's a 20-year-old game, they can't charge full price for it. But the amount of labor of love they put into this, I think it justifies the price. Yeah, 100%. One theory about why they decided to release it is to kind of give you like an appetizer to Metroid Prime 4. And there's hints about that. So I was apparently all over the internet and... I had noticed it myself. So Nintendo in the UK and in the rest of Europe sent out a survey whenever you bought the game saying like, how did you hear about the game? What do you like about it? Why did you buy it? Have you played it before? Have you played any other Metroid games? And one of the reasons of like, why did you buy the game was like to wait for Metroid Prime 4. So maybe that's a hint as in like, let's release something Metroid, create the hype. And then when Prime 4 comes out, if it comes out, I hope so, fans will be hyped, you know? Let's see, we got one, we got Metroid Dread already like over a year ago, we got Prime this year. Hopefully something's on the way. I hope so too. I do think that it would be silly not to release Metroid Prime 2 and Metroid Prime 3 at this point, because they are part of the trilogy. It has sold well. In the early days of its release, the physical copy was unfindable it scalpers had got hold of them they were retailing reselling for a way more i know that nintendo reprinted a whole heap of new cartridges because basically demand was way more than expected so hopefully yeah. these are good omens yeah let's see 
But I wanted to talk to you about another game that I played recently, or technically three games that I played recently that are much like Metroid remaster. I don't know if that's the term because there's like different, like a remake, remaster, and re-release are three different things. But anyway, which is the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and I've played it on the PlayStation Four. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we didn't record in so long is because I was playing Mass Effect. <laughs> so and that's the thing. <laughs> if you play all three games and you do, you know, you try to do all the missions, that's a few months of your life that go away. May I add that in terms of the things which have happened to Marco, I think playing Mass Effect was above his wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've played it literally, I think I played it even on my wedding day, but I, I don't, but anyway. <laughs> but um, no one will ever know. But no one will ever know. <laughs> and that's why I say it on like public, whatever. Um, <laughs> wow, Des, it was so much fun to get back into that world. It was so much fun. It's Mass Effect. Everybody knows Mass Effect. It's The story is amazing. It's so gripping. Like you get the feeling that you're, doing something amazing like saving the galaxy and like every game like the the three games the the stakes keep getting higher and it's it's you you really get hooked on it because like you're really feeling like oh my god i'm really doing something incredible here the characters are memorable for the most part there's so many super interesting characters and you really get a feeling that ultimately the 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 three games play pretty much the same as in you're the captain of this spaceship or commander you have to go and build your team and you do like missions with them and then it all comes down to like one major mission at the end which is like fairly simple but the way you get there is up to you in a way like you can choose to recruit or not recruit certain characters you can choose to save them or kill them or let them live and let them or let them die and you can choose how much your like how closely you bond with them and with some characters you can even romance them which is by far the most fun part and then you can decide whether you're like a good guy or a bad guy which was massive at at the time yeah it's always had and still does have a really good karma system where obviously your decisions will allow you to do different actions with different characters one of the things which i think has really helped it build such a following is the fact that it was one of the first games where it really 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 felt that the decisions you made right at the beginning in Mass Effect 1 were carried over to the end of Mass Effect 3. Not quite the end-end, but we'll get on to that. Yeah. Just as a recap, Mass Effect Trilogy 1, 2, and 3 were kind of released during the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 era. And I think it was uh, towards the end of the PlayStation 3 era that we got the final Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3. It started off as a pretty, um, I don't want to say niche, but like smaller budget game developed by Bioware. And I think it was so successful that a lot of money was then poured into like Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 was one of the showstoppers of the PlayStation and Xbox 360. When it came to remastering it, Mass Effect 1 in particular had a lot of work to be done because... Even at the time, a lot of it was kind of janky. The controls weren't very optimized. It was a bit clunky in certain aspects. The Mako, which is kind of like this Jeep that you can drive every now and then, it was like driving jelly. It was not the best, but it made up for it with an incredible story 
an incredible atmosphere and incredible world building. So the fact that the core of the game was so good allowed it to carry on in the in the rest of the trilogy. No, because the characters also were brilliant. It hooks you in other ways than gameplay. And admittedly, the gameplay is not great. For example, like we were talking earlier about Metroid Prime, about how it doesn't show its age. Mass Effect Legendary Edition, it does. Like, it's an old game. You 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 don't play it for the gameplay because the gameplay is okay. Like, it's not great. It's not like a good shooter, but it's just a good game. Um, but go on, you're about to talk about Mass Effect 2. No, no, I mean, I think everybody has their favorite in the trilogy. When it came to doing the remaster, there's a really good documentary. I say mini documentary. It's more of a sort of these fake adverts that IGN hosts yeah. where they're speaking to the developers. And it was just looking at the changes that they made. Most of the work was put into modernizing Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 3 isn't that old, if you know what I mean. And so they said it worked pretty well, minor tweaks. So the bulk of the work seems to have been put in making Mass Effect 1 play and look like Mass Effect 3. And then everything kind of got like a a tweak. The other thing which I thought was really interesting is that some of the maps have been redesigned. Only minor things. They don't really affect your gameplay. The famous sort of, um, I don't know, aspect of the games is that you spend a lot of time in elevators going up between the different levels, etc, etc. And they kind of got over the weight by putting interesting conversations, which were genuinely interesting, not just filler. Those loading times have been incredibly shortened because of the, of the fact that we've got better hardware. And another thing was that when the lift opens, um, a lot of the public spaces would have walls put in front of a lift or just after the lift because that was a hardware limitation where they didn't want to render the whole environment. So the wall would block the console at the time or the PC at the time mm-hmm. from rendering everything. And now that our, let's say, computing power is so much better, they just got rid of those walls because they never wanted them in the first place. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't notice the walls. I didn't remember. But I did notice that loading times are way faster. So it's actually not that much of a burden to keep going back and forth between locations. I've only played the beginning of it just because I wanted to try it out. It uh, was given away for free at some point from, uh, I can't remember, was it? origin or microsoft anyway it was given away for near free from maybe even epic games i can't remember and um, now ever since the acquisition from microsoft it's now also available on xbox game pass game pass ultimate so it's actually quite accessible when it retailed it retailed for your typical 60 dollars pounds euros or whatever which for all free games was considered a bargain because they are all very good games And now you can, in the sale, you can pick it up for up to 90% off. So if you're going to buy it, buy it in a sale. I think to show how good it is or how memorable it is as a game, everybody I know who's played it says, I envy those for picking it up for the first time because it's just so good to experience for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Although I have to say, so I played it, I don't know, like in the PS3 days, it was eight years ago, seven years ago. I don't know, something like that. I played it ages ago. Something that I found really interesting was that of all the three games, so, you know, all the reviews, all the reviews say that Mass Effect 1, not that great of a game, but like mechanic wise, but memorable. Mass Effect 2, amazing game, best one of the trilogy. Mass Effect 3, good game, really let down by its ending. I didn't remember anything from Mass Effect 2 or 3. The the one that stuck in my head was Mass Effect 1. 
for some reason. Maybe because it was all new and you were all like, wow, like, and I'm, I, it's just me, my crew, and my ship, and we can do anything we want, including probing Uranus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's tons of like little funny Easter eggs, but the game that I most remembered, or like the missions that I most remembered, were in the first game, which I found pretty interesting because two and three have very memorable characters and missions and everything one thing i didn't get to play the first time around and i did get to play here because the legendary edition includes also all of the dlc is the citadel dlc for mass effect 3 which i don't know if you've played but it is amazing it's like catered to gamers and fans of the franchise because it's basically the mission itself is like there's a couple of like silly like oh someone's after you you gotta kill them kind of thing but then you get an apartment on the citadel which is like the main city whatever you basically have to organize a party you invite all of your friends and get drunk and organize a party which is just like so random but so much fun because then throughout the party everybody gets more drunk and they they keep like talking and it's just so weird it's it's just so much fun we were talking about the changes and seeing as you're talking about the party side of things and before you mentioned the relationships one of the things which maybe kind of drew criticism at the time is that there are some very sexualized characters in the trilogy One of them in particular is Miranda, which is one of your female, let's say, sidekicks, human female sidekicks. It's an important differentiation because you can romance (laughs) non-humans, and uh, which gets kind of weird. But anyway, I digress. In the original trilogy, there is um, some very, very questionable camera angle choices where, (laughs) especially with Miranda, it would focus more, let's say, on her derriere than on the kind of the story. It's kind of like, where are you looking at, mate? Yeah, it was like a my eyes are up here kind of situation. Obviously, the moment they came out, Twitter exploded with people going, oh, look what they fixed, because now the camera angle is much more respectful to women. (laughs) So (laughs) I just thought it was funny that the internet got a little bit angry about that. Yeah. But anyway, you know what? The games itself, as in gameplay wise, I'm going to say something controversial. Mass Effect Andromeda is better. Combat wise, you have a lot more options. You can jump, you can kind of fly. It's just much more fun in terms of story legendary edition is so good it's so much fun to get back into that universe and i hope i get to do that again next time i have like two three months uh free because it's just i don't know it was a joy to get back into that world and do all the missions again and one thing that i found funny is like we said before is you can choose whether to be kind of like a a boy scout a, a good boy scout or a bad piece of crap so every time you replay it, it's an opportunity to, you know, romance another character, do something different or be not as good. And I made exactly the same choices as I did like 10 years ago. When I first played it. <laughs> so, yeah, well, whatever. Like Des said, if you can find it for free or for a sale or whatever, it's a no brainer. You you will lose a few months of your life, but it's a no brainer. It's so good. We've spoken for quite a while now. Marco, how was your beer? My beer, I had the hoppy lager called El Dorado, and it's really good. It's kind of light. It's like 5.3. It's like they say, it's pretty hoppy. So it's a little bit bitter, but 
they say that there's a taste of tropical fruit, which I cannot taste, but it's it's a good summer beer. So if you if you know what I mean, like it's a it's a sit by the barbecue and have a few beers kind of beverage. So I really like it. I'm going to give it 4.5 out of six. Not bad. Yes. And what about your blurry vision? Did it give you any? It's actually quite strong. It hasn't given me blurry vision yet, but I do have rosy cheeks. I'll be honest with you. This caught me a little bit off guard. Um, I looked at the ingredients and it's your typical beer. It's got nothing fancy added, which is not my style. Usually I usually have things with like popcorn and, and caramel thrown in. The first flavor I got was of pineapple. It's like a really fruity beer, but it's got nothing in there which says fruit. It's just like an IPA. So I'm putting it down Mm -hmm. to the natural sweetness from the hops in there as well. So I think it's the hops which have given it this kind of fruity flavor. I really like it. It's sweet. As such, I think I might give it the same score as you, a 4.5 out of a six-pack. It has surprised me. It's fresh. It's refreshing. It's got a fruity flavor. And... uh, it's a pretty strong beer, so something I would definitely drink again. Wow, look at that. Two really good beers for our first episode of season three. Today, we talked about a few old games that we revisited, and we are super happy to have done that. Speaking of revisiting, since we're back since a long time ago, Des, it was so good to talk to you again, and it was so good to be back. I'm looking forward to the next episode. And um, we already have something planned. It should be. Well, it's basically something that we've been waiting for and we will be happy to review. So, um, I don't know. Shall we give him a hint? No. <laughs> I need to listen to the next one. <laughs> okay, perfect. Fine. All right, guys. As always, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. See you next time. including probing your anus.